Hi, my name is Will. My name is Brian. This is The Church Split, and today we're going to be talking about Rhett and Link resigning the faith. Now, sorry it took so long for us to get this video out. I know by now it's old news, so we've already missed the hype train, but uh, bottom line is... What? You're good. Oh, I thought you were giving me a condescending look. That you're like, <laughs> I'm like, what? It's not my fault. Um, but I know we've kind of missed the hype train, but for, I really just, we wanted to take time to talk about this, and we want to make sure that when we were putting all this together, we were putting the right thoughts together. And on top of that, we've been working through some audio issues and some visual issues. So thank you for your patience as we've been going forward with this. So anyhow, um, honestly, we're just going to be talking about them resigning the faith. And if, before, if it, for those of you who don't know, which I don't know how you've missed it by now, uh, Rhett and Link, they are YouTubers. They started off a long time ago online. Uh, they started off with just um, uh, doing random goofy music videos, mm -hmm. uh, which was a lot of fun. And then they eventually evolved into doing what's called Good Mythical Morning. It's this really fun. It's I, I like the way Braxton Hunter put it on, on Trinity Radio. He talked about how they basically like kind of like your youth pastor games they would play games like will it taco and they'll put like pieces of like octopus and the taco and eat it They're like oh definitely not they just come up with <laughs> horrible concoctions and uh i've, I've watched some miserable they, they did like uh, a hamburger once fully dipped in chocolate and just did a whole chocolate episode pretty yeah, messed pass. up <laughs> yeah no but they are worth 22 million dollars so it literally paid off yeah. um but uh <laughs> then they um so people who watch good mythical morning they call mythical beasts uh, i i wouldn't say i was a mythical beasts uh, a beast at, at all i would watch an episode here and there i more like their early music stuff um but then they also do a podcast called Ear Biscuits. And recently they talked about their spiritual journey and they call it their spiritual deconstruction. And I'm going to call it their resigning the faith, yeah. um, also known as going apostate, to use the term bluntly. But here's the thing is I don't, I want to preface this by saying I don't hate them. In fact, I've always enjoyed their work. I find them to be actually pretty likable guys. They're pretty funny. Uh, also, I thought that their video being uh, as open and honest as they were, uh, I know that's a place of vulnerability they're putting themselves in. Yeah. So I appreciate appreciate that. Uh, I just think that there's some, obviously there are some wrong conclusions because we all have, we, you've studied evidence, I've studied evidence, and obviously we're here. So uh, you're a deacon, yeah. I'm a pastor. So <laughs> we're pretty well sure we're on the right camp ourselves, but we really want to take time to talk about this. And today is going to be a bit more conversational. Um, we, we, we had considered for about five seconds doing like a whole, like show a clip, refute it, show a clip, refute it. And each one was an hour and 40 minutes. Yeah, this would be the longest video ever. This would, yeah, you'd be here for six <laughs> hours. So we're gonna, we're trying to be mindful of your time. So uh, if you haven't seen them, go watch them and then come here and watch this because we're just gonna be quoting them and referencing a lot. And we're gonna be just kind of chilling here, chatting about it as opposed to our other refutation video of God is Gray. So anyway, like I said, I've been a long time fan of theirs and, uh, I appreciate another thing that Rhett did say. Um, he was on a Philip DeFranco's show. I'm not sure. Do you, do you know who D Philip Philly D is? I've heard of him. I just haven't watched. Really? Yeah. Oh, he's he's a pretty cool dude. I'm kind of, but apparently he's not religious either. He mentioned so. Here we are. Uh, but uh, Rhett mentioned in his uh, his. Uh, interview with him that he knows that people have to respond to it. He knows that people are going to have to talk about it. And uh, he understands that people are going to do this. And I think that's important. I think, and I think that's credit. I'll give him credit there. He yeah. knows the fact that we're going to have to, because he says that he used to do it. Yeah. 
So I think that's fair. Yeah, I think it shows he's he's open at least hearing some criticism, and we'll talk about how we think how open he really is, and some of the things he's he's uh, willing to compromise on or willing to look at still. But I think at least it's showing that he's open to at least some criticism. Exactly, and also I don't want. I think we can say all this. I can't preface this enough. As a pastor, I love Rhett. Um, I love Link. I've never met them, but they're very personable and all their stuff. And so I kind of feel like I already know them a little bit, but like I don't personally know them uh, just because they just seem like they're pretty genuine guys. And so I want to say this, this all comes from a place of love, but we're also not going to hold back on any truth areas. We're going to, we, again, as we said with uh, Brenda with God is Gray, um, you can attack ideas without attacking the person. And we can show where people are being logically contradictory as well. And yeah. uh, I think we can, I think that's kind of the goal here. So first things first, I want to ask the question of why is this so concerning? I, I saw one person who commented on one of the videos and they were like, oh, it's funny to see all these Christians having a meltdown uh, about this. Oh, why is it so big of a deal if they're so, what was it like, if they had so much faith in their sky daddy or something like that. <laughs> and, you know, I get what the, he's trying to say, but really there's a reason why this is concerning. One, rejecting the faith and becoming apostate is something that the church has to address in general. Mm -hmm. If I had somebody resign the faith at church, I would have to address it. In fact, you know, I've had to do that recently yeah. at my church. I had to follow Matthew 18 all the way through, had to sit down with the church and go, all right, guys, this is what happened. This person rejected the faith, X, Y, Z. Um, so that's something the church has to address. Secondly, there are public figures who have a huge audience, and a lot of people know they're evangelical Christians who believe the fundamentals of the faith, just like you and I do, or did they did. And so when people followed them and listened to them and went to them for going like, wow, our kids can be safe here, our family can watch this, and we don't have to worry about assaulting worldviews, you know, there, there's a point of, there's a, this, I don't like the idea of sheltering children, you know that, I don't like the idea of echo chambers either, but there is something about like, hey, this is where we go for just a good time with our family to watch this and not have to worry about that. Well, now you've entered into the whole, now you are assaulting a worldview. Yeah. So now you're forcing churches and pastors to have to address it because we have kids or family members that follow them. Yeah. Well, and I think, well, talk about it to it a little bit, but, you know, part of Rhett's kind of deconstruction and, and pulling away from the faith was really, he was... <sighs> following and looking up to a lot of people and when those people either he could find a hole in something that they were saying or they let him down in a, in a way that that helped unravel his faith so i think in the reason why we're bringing this up is because we don't want um Rhett and link to potentially have that same effect on someone else and start unraveling someone else's faith uh, especially with some false information or some information that isn't accurate exactly so also, I think it's important because it's less because of uh, it's of it's more. Be, I guess you could say because of who it is than what it is. People leave the faith all the time. This is nothing new, and Rhett doesn't bring in any like slam dunk argument where he just takes it home and just takes uh, Christianity outside and crucifies it, for <laughs> lack of a better term. Yeah. Is that was that insensitive? Okay. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't take Christianity out into the woods and crucify it in a sense yeah. where I felt like my faith was totally defeated and he destroyed me. No, I was waiting for one of those things. It's like, oh, well, maybe he's he's got some information I hadn't heard, and I was like, okay, no. Yep. No, this is all pretty this par for the course. And well, and the thing is, like, after even watching 
when you, Sam Harris, Matt Dillahunty, you know, Christopher Hitchens, uh, uh, what's his name, uh, Stephen Hawking, like all these major atheists is like, okay, I've heard everything they have to say and it really doesn't hold up much. Yeah. Um, ooh, maybe, and I don't know why I was expecting Rhett to have something different, but I was like, well, Rhett seems like a genuine dude. Maybe he, and no, no, it's just a big, yeah. big nothing burger. So um, anyway, so the whole thing could be summed up as, and if you watch the videos, you'll notice this, the whole videos could be set, uh, summed up as, I always had a narrow scope of my theistic worldview, and once I was exposed to more, it added doubts, and these doubts broke me. That's mm -hmm. essentially what the that whole hour and 40 minutes is. So this is, and I think we should touch on this before we just jump right into Rhett, this is the danger of echo chambers. Rhett talks a lot about all the people he always listened to. He talked about how he listened to all these same apologists, and they're always these apologists. And okay, and also evolution's always bad. You can't touch in on these areas. No, no, stay, this is your little echo chamber. This is your safety zone, stay in your safety zone. And I've never been a fan of that because yeah. every single time someone realizes that somebody else might have a few reasons to believe other than what their echo chamber taught, they go, oh, everything I believed was a lie and it just breaks them and it's, it shouldn't. Part of the issue that I think really shows why this can be a problem with the echo chambers is um, you, you run in these ideas that you're, you're afraid to confront them. You're, you're having these, these questions that you're afraid to ask and because you're worried about the answer, which already shows a faltering of faith. And I think um, people that I know that are interested in apologetics, debates, doctrinal issues, they're not worried about those questions. They enjoy those questions. They enjoy the hard questions. They're not worried about the answer because they, they're sure in their faith and they're sure in the truth. And um, more digging at that is only going to reveal the truth more, not less. Yeah, exactly. So, which is what's funny that when he did talk about how he's afraid of certain questions, that that, that struck me. I'm like, really? Yeah. I ask those questions regularly when I watch half these videos and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I watched you and I both watch three hour debates at times. Just for fun. kicks? Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> and to hear this uh, difficult question brought up, and you're like, oh, that's a good question. How would I answer that? What is the biblical answer for that? Mm -hmm. Is there a biblical answer for that? And I would say this, if if the Bible's true, and he does kind of mention that a little bit, we'll dig into this, but if the Bible's true, I shouldn't have to worry about people digging at it. Yeah. Go ahead, t dig. I'll, there should be an answer there for every question you have, pretty much. Mm -hmm. And there really generally is, outside of some of the more obscure things, like when uh, when is Jesus Christ returning? Like, obviously, that's not, but that's not really a question you could ask. So anyway, let's jump in, shall we? After 10 minutes of pre-talk, let's jump into the meat of it. So we're going to talk about Rhett here. He, and you'll notice this throughout the entire time. Rhett is kind of the leader in the group, which anyone who has ever been involved with Rhett and Link stuff, you'll notice that, you know, Link tends to be the really funny one. And Rhett is funny, but you can tell kind of Rhett's the spearheader, right? Like he's kind of the one who leads the group a bit more. He's more the leader personality and Link is like the follow-up guy. You know, everyone needs a follow-up guy. Um, so Rhett kind of, uh, we're going to more deal with his uh, in, in the bulk of this video. And I think that's mainly just because he's the one who brings up objections and then we can address some of the things I have issue with Link, but Link's side is more dangerous toward the church. So anyway, uh, Link, uh, Link, Rhett, Rhett starts off by expressing that he doesn't want people judging him for his beliefs. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, I both agree and disagree with this. It's like, yeah, people shouldn't like condemn you for it. But at the same time, like we all judge 
to a degree. And uh, judging isn't always bad. Uh, you know, there's righteous judging and unrighteous judging. You know, unrighteous judging is you can't judge someone's thought, heart, or motive. You know, why did they do that? Oh, they did it because of this. You know, you're judging. Um, but right, righteous judging, good judging is going, this is right, this is wrong. You know, good judgment is going, maybe don't drive against traffic on a one-way road. Yeah. And if you do that, you're being reckless, right? So that's... Uh, <laughs> That right there is good judgment. Well, I think the whole part of this channel, too, is really, all right, let's talk about things where we disagree, where we ju we're judging others' arguments, and we're, and we're finding out how to still live in unity in Christ while having some of those disagreements and, and trying to really find the truth by being okay with having open discussions. Um, so mm -hmm. I, I think avoiding that runs into some, certain problems that Red had. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, but also at the same time, like... He doesn't want people judging him for his beliefs, but you'll, I did notice in his interview, even with Philip DeFranco, he does have a bit of a, and he kind of says this a few times, even when he talks about the anger he had, he also has a little bit of judgment toward Christians. Mm -hmm. So again, it's really funny how often people run with the mantra of, ooh, don't judge, ooh, don't judge. And it's like, no, we're encouraged to judge properly. So... Anyway, I just find it, I kind of find the point moot whenever people go, oh, don't judge. You who's out sin cast the first stone. It's like, well, that's, you're taking that out of context as to what that was implying. So anyway, uh, then, so, you know, he, and you'll notice if you watch it, he constantly gets, tries to get ahead of the argument by going, oh, I already know what people are going to say about me. They're going to say this, they're going to say that. And the thing is, doing that doesn't necessarily make the point any less true. Being aware of what the response is doesn't make it any less true. Yeah. Um, so one of the things is I, we, I wanted to talk about real quickly is, uh, and this might be taking more time than I thought because it's just conversational, but is eternal security. Mm -hmm. So he goes, well, I know people, what people are going to say. I was never really a Christian. That's what the response is going to be. But I was a Christian. I was a Christian. I was a Jesus guy. I was, a, and that's the thing. They were full-time missionaries and everything. So yeah. like, and uh, it sounded like Link was right, like led praise and worship and all sorts of stuff. So I think that you, we can honestly say that there was definitely a commitment there. But what I do find ironic is that Rhett denies that Jesus is a thing, right? He doesn't believe Jesus raised from the dead. He, he stepped away from the Christian faith. He believes it to be false. And then he goes, well, don't say I never believed in Jesus because I, I, I did. I was a real Christian. I'm like, you just said that, but you just said it's false. So how can you say it's false? And then say, oh, but I totally believed it. So you're saying, so you're going, oh, this thing that totally doesn't exist. I totally believe in this thing that doesn't exist. I, I, it was real. But by the way, it doesn't exist, so it's not real? Yeah, it'd be like you know, a divorced person looking back on their marriage and saying, well, I, I, you know, I, I think my marriage was real, but I don't believe she exists. <laughs> <laughs> you really look at it like that. It's like okay. <laughs> it, it very, I found it very confusing. Like, I, yeah. like instead of you should you should just own it. Like, I never. I find that funny because it's like you should have just to be consistent. Just well, I wasn't ever a Christian because Christianity isn't true. Like, just just own it. Just just own it. Like, it, it makes it a lot m less contradictory. So well, he's given to the, the the point that I think he thought it was genuine. So. Um, at the time, and looking back, he probably still thinks it was genuine, but it's hard to say. Yeah, and here's the thing. So this deserves its own video, but as far as eternal security is concerned, well, the pres preservation of the saints is not something necessarily you and I fully subscribe to. And before you click off that video, um, <laughs> heretic, <laughs> um, I wanted to read you Hebrews chapter six uh, real quick, just part of it. 
Um, there's there's some important things here. So it's not that fact I don't think uh, Rhett was ever not a Christian. I think he had it, and then according to Hebrews 6, he tasted the glory of it, and then he spat it out, is what I would say is probably more accurate. Just judging by the way they described their faith, I feel like it was very real. Yeah. To, and so, anyway, verse 1 says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of instructions of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits, for it is impossible. I'm going to say this part carefully. For it is impossible in the case of those who have been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, one could say resigning the faith, to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own to their own harm and holding up to contempt. Now, there's a couple interpretations of this. Uh, some people try to pull, still pull eternal security out of this, which they, they kind of have to play some real uh, word gymnastics. Yeah. If that's but uh, I've heard two interpretations. One, either it means directly what it says literally, it is impossible for them to come back. Or it is if you had Rhett in a room and then you had a guy who never heard the gospel in the room and you hear those two come together and give and hear, hear the gospel, which one's most likely to? Well, Rhett's going to be next to impossible to save. So it, they also might believe it is next to impossible. But either way, here it says that, you know, they have, you know, they've been enlightened. They've tasted the heavenly gift. They shared in the Holy Spirit. How can you share in the Holy Spirit if you've never been saved? Yeah, so it's really saying that the, the fruits of the Spirit are coming to fruition through being saved. Mm-hmm. And then if you do that, you shared all these things, and then you left. You left. Yeah. You resigned. Um, I think you'll see that in, in Rhett's video. I think the idea of it's impossible to, to reach repentance again, it's, it's, you can see the, this. It's, it's something he doesn't want to do. It's something that he, he'll say he's open-minded, but he'll also say things that he's, he will refuse to review again or, or look into, uh, which that to me sounds like the, it's, it's impossible again, or it's really, really hard at the very least, because um, he's not willing to. So anyway, uh, if whether you agree or not agree with our assessment of of that, that's okay. We can have a conversation about that later. I, um, I again, not to keep bringing up Braxton Hunter, but he had a really good point with this and his friend John uh, John Pritchett. They they actually both have two totally different views. One, uh, Braxton is an eternal security guy, and uh, Jonathan isn't. And uh, the way Braxton put it was simply like, okay, he was never saved in the first place. He needs the gospel. Pritchett saying. He rejected it. He still needs the gospel. Mm-hmm. We both. The, the end result is still. He needs the gospel. Who cares about like the that whole like oh did he did he not is it real is it not so I'm just getting, letting you know what my thoughts are there. Um, but we'll get into other videos digging into that. So the way we're not going to avoid the question. <laughs> exactly. So whenever you're dealing um, with theology, uh, you're you're placing yourself in one camp or or another and i think this is important too to to talk about like you know people keep going oh don't put me in a camp well we have a label for everything there is there is camps for stuff and when you're dealing with this you know he's going you know the no true scotsman fallacy of you know the whole he was never a christian but he and then Rhett said a thing that i thought was like 
it was just like, wow, that just kind of hit me in the heart. Cause I remember this listening to Red's video literally was like heartbreaking. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. It was, it, it was killing me. So, but he says, don't reduce me to a theological footnote, which I think is important to talk about because whenever you're dealing with theology, you're placing yourself in one camp or the other. So you're going to be in a footnote. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't want you to think that we don't care about you, but you're, you're placing yourself in one of the footnotes. Uh, there's, we're all going to be part of that at one point, but the thing is, is skepticism. This is really what this video came down to. A lot of it was skepticism. Rhett confesses that he has always been a skeptical person. And now, Brian, I think you and I can both agree. Have you always been a skeptical person? Yeah, I'm very skeptical. Yeah, you are the <laughs> most. You might be cynical, cynically skeptical, as long as I've known you. I embrace that. I, I'm, I am the most intelligent man. Um, I, uh, I'm also a naturally skeptical person. I, this actually kind of got me in trouble a lot growing up and stuff, or and even in Bible college I asked a lot of questions I didn't take everything at face value I was like okay but why but why and uh, so I can relate to this but here's the thing when you're skeptical being skeptical as you know doesn't make you smart right yeah it just means that you know you're not convinced one way or the other all the time and you want to make sure that what you're saying is true but bottom line is a skeptic how, how does that phrase go who said it I don't remember exactly so I'm paraphrasing here but a skeptic doesn't, being skeptical doesn't make you intelligent. It just simply means that you refuse to actually believe something. Uh, you know, here's the thing. I'm a skeptical person, but eventually I have to choose something. Mm-hmm. And so as I'm studying all these different theologies and I'm, I'm studying whether or not to even believe in God, um, you know, I have to eventually land in a camp. I'm skeptical of everything, but at the same time, I have to be convinced of evidence. Otherwise, I'm trying to, I'm masquerading as an intellectual when really I'm just too dumb to be able to reach a consensus. Yeah, or it's a point of pride and your pride's getting in the way and you're like, well, I, don't, I won't accept that I face value because of my pride. <laughs> and I will admit that I have that problem in some ways and always want to work on it. But a, a good argument's going to convince me maybe even after I hit it off a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why you, ha- you married the woman that you married because that woman can... S- oh, yeah. She can slam dunk an argument. She's the one I can't argue with convincingly. That's <laughs> <laughs> really... Same here, actually. It's really irritating. She's got good one-liners that, like, she can just make an argument in, like, a single sentence. Ticks me off. I'm like, oh, that's a good one. She, she's really good at exposing things. We should have her on a video sometime. So here's the thing. Whenever he'd experience doubt, and feel free to chime in whenever, by the way. Whenever Rhett would experience doubt, he mentioned that he'd always go to an apologetical author. So, you know, maybe a Ravi Zacharias, maybe, I don't know if he listened to William Lane Craig or what he did, but he always went to apologetical authors whenever he had yeah. it out. And I don't think that's always a bad thing. You know, I, okay, I, I do a lot of that too. Where I'm like, oh, I, I'm really curious to see what Frank Turek says about this or Norman Geisler about this. You know, this is a, ooh, this is a tough topic. What does doc, Dr. White say about this? You know, and I, I love, but you know as well as I do, we're pulling from all the strings where you want, okay, I have this one question and I'm going to go to as many of them as possible and then i'll even i've even looked up things like from sam harris and other things to see what their the atheist response would be and which one i find to be the most compelling yeah i think he's he's really putting a lot of faith in these these apologists these authors and uh if he finds one that has a uh, what he seems like a more convincing argument that's disagreeing with someone else that he put a lot of faith in then it starts really pulling at that string again at, and he's he's fallen away from it because he's like oh well if this one thing that I, I think they disagree on is more convincing with this other author, then therefore everything this other person said that I had put my faith in, not Jesus necessarily, this other author, then it starts ruining that whole thing. And uh, I think it's really a problem with 
with the faith that he puts in different authors and yeah. scientists. Well, that, and that's why like these, like I have a lot of favorite, you, my, the person who got me involved into loving apologetics actually wasn't even apologetics originally. It was originally um, a, a political debate with Ben Shapiro with Black Lives Matter. And it was this really obscure one. It, it, it's hard to find. And I remember being like, oh my word, that guy just, I don't know who that guy was, but he just destroyed that argument. That was amazing. So then I started looking up his stuff and watching debates, and then I was like, "Oh, I wonder what? What? I wonder who's the head of the Christian side?" And then I found Ravi Zacharias. I was like, "Dude, this guy's a, a Christian philosopher, like armed to the teeth. This is amazing." So it was really this. But the thing is, is I never went. Oh, okay, everything Ben Shapiro says is got to be true, and then if he's wrong on one thing. Oh, suddenly my conservative views are just completely destroyed. I am now a liberal. I'm moving to California. Like, uh, if Ravi was wrong in a point, um, same thing. I don't do that. But uh, I, Ravi kind of he sticks in the philosophy realm. I've noticed he doesn't really get into the science realm because he's like, okay, I don't really care about that. I care about yeah. what's your thought process and how does it not contradict itself. I think there's things that you know Ben Shapiro or Ravi. I think there are things that we we disagree with them on or don't like their explanation on. Doesn't mean. I throw everything out. You don't throw the baby out the bathwater. Yeah, exactly. So I found that to be a big thing. I, I could, there's definitely the sense of almost idolatry there. Like you're holding these people up on a pedestal, and you shouldn't hold them up on a pedestal. You could respect their work. You could love their work, but don't do that. And we see Rhett, I, I, Rhett kind of hints to the fact that he does that. Yeah. Because um, he even talks about he was angry with them for lying to him. And I'm just like, I feel like that was really unfair, which we'll probably dig yeah. into that a little bit. Well, I think and really what started the ball rolling for Rhett was – Evolution and like he talks about how he even for fun would debate people that believed in evolution and he enjoyed changing their mind on it so that they would no longer believe in evolution and, he, and that was a point of pride for him and at some point in time he read a couple books that started uh, challenging his thought process on that and uh, as we said he already did wanted to avoid some of the hard questions he really kind of lived in his echo chamber um, and he would only be willing to probably debate people on the subject that were less educated than him on it. So when he he was never confronted with questions that he didn't know the answer to. Um, and I think that started really pulling at this thread um, yeah. unraveling his faith. And uh, also, it, you know, he to quote him, he even said, evolution seemed desperate to believe. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you can definitely tell he wasn't really, he wasn't an evolutionist by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. By the way, I want you guys to know this, like the fact that we don't want to fully do a psychoanalysis of him, but we also got to review or talk about what we have. And these are the things. So if I'm, we're wrong a little bit on some of this analysis, just know the fact that we're working with what we got. Yeah. So if Rhett ever finds this video on our tiny little minuscule channel on the, on the internet and he's got a problem with it, he can contact me directly. Uh, then what we see is that he Red talks about he reads this book um, by a theistic evolutionist, uh, and you know he's a Christian, but he believes in evolution. So he reads this, and he it just he he really talks about how it was like a complete uh, visceral experience. His cognitive dissonance went on fired on all cylinders because he's like, well, if you're a Christian, you can't believe this. And that's when I realized it was actually that moment because I was like, did he just live in an echo chamber? I was like, ah, probably not. I, he said he's involved in these apologists. And then suddenly when this happened, I was like, oh, no, no, you did live in an echo chamber because yeah. theistic evolutionists are pretty, it's a strong thing in the theological community. Oh, yeah, pretty mainstream. Yeah. The it, fact that he really hadn't been exposed to it in any of the arguments was was kind of shocking to me. But then again, he grew up in uh, the Carolinas, you know, the Bible Belt, and that's a very much young earth creationist central. And uh, coming from a person who went to Bible college down in Tennessee, the Bible Belt is very real on that uh, echo chamber, man. They really like their echo chamber. So I personally uh, have kind of bounced back and forth on, on this idea. So 
I'm comfortable with it. I, it doesn't scare me, and I, both sides have some compelling things that yeah, feel is important. It, well, even the even the theistic evolution side is like okay, but evolution is such a complex uh, there's such a complex stream of events in order for evolution to take place. I I don't know if if you're a theistic evolutionist, I don't know how you can not. If you're an evolutionist, I don't know how you can not believe in God. Yeah. Because it's so much more complex than God just speaking and, you know, uh, it's like, oh, no, let me just have all these things morph and change. And by the way, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Oh, by the way, this, you know, this cell can't exist without all these different parts. But which one came first? Yeah. You definitely need a, a, a deity involved in order to make evolution work. So I, I, I've always found that to be interesting yeah i'm not an evolutionist by the way i'll i'll, I'll admit that right now i'm not well he really he really parks on the dna idea and mm -hmm. he he makes a statement that hey we're everyone knows we are 99 percent similar to chimps which i found that funny because i think part of it is he's he's recounting this whole situation now years later he said it's been several years eight or nine years um, so some of the stuff it's at 0910 something like yeah, that yeah so some of this stuff wasn't out yet so i will give him the benefit of the doubt that some of this um new scientific discovery just wasn't there but one of the things was this 99 percent similar to chimps which was something mainstream of science thought for a bit and real quick they mapped out the human genome they spent a lot of money like a billion dollars on it they put a lot of effort into it and then, so this massive project undertaking, we did it, and everyone's high-fiving, like, okay, let's map some other things. Let's map the chimp. And confirmation bias, they already assumed that we were very similar to chimp based on chromosomal structure and other things, obviously how we look. Um, so then they mapped the chimp DNA. Well, unbeknownst to a lot of the researchers, one, they were accidentally contaminating the chimp DNA samples with human DNA, and two, they were using the... The, the, the human DNA is like a puzzle box top that they were setting in front of themselves and saying, okay, we are going to map this chimp DNA. Okay, I have this segment of DNA that looks like, oh, a human DNA is there. Okay, I guess I'll put it here in the chimp DNA. So they were using it um, uh, as a guide. So it's not unremarkable that they came up with something that was very similar to the chimp DNA, not to mention it had human DNA that they were mapping on top of it. Um, so two different researchers, geneticists, um, several years ago, reviewed all this and found these errors. And um, it was ironic because one was a very Christian uh, geneticist and one was uh, atheist, and they both came to the same conclusion, actually the same number, evaluating the same samples. They found the errors, they found the, the, the box top problem, and they came up with 84.4% uh, similar, which is significantly different. Uh, so much so that chimps could not have been an evolutionary species that humans developed from. It's just, we don't have enough time. It would take way, way, way more millions and millions and millions of years. So the Earth isn't old enough, and our current idea of how old the Earth is in old Earth uh, um, science and, and creationism to make that work. So he, but he's stating this as a fact. Yeah. And it shows that he has been, since he had this conversion, to be unwilling to continually review the science. So maybe he's not a skeptic after all. <laughs> well, it's amazing. I've noticed a lot of people say, I'm oh, I'm a skeptic, I'm a skeptic, but yet they always end up planting a flag somewhere, but then they keep going, oh, no, no, it's just, I'm a skeptic, nothing's debunked this yet. And you bring up evidence sometimes to debunk it, and a lot of skeptics just kind of dodge the ball and go, oh, no, no, no. It, yeah. It's a normal thing that happens. We, we, we humans have bias. We have biases. So um, it's, it's not that we 
crazy or profound. Yeah. Well, I think he also makes a like a logical leap where one of the other things he says is um, DNA is how we determine court cases. So when he we found uh, this book that's talking about how some of these these DNA segments are very similar between chimps and humans, the, therefore. We found something that sounds similar, so therefore, since we use DNA in court cases, everything DNA must be accurate completely, and we must trust it 100%. And it's like, no, we know how to match DNA so we can see if that came from the same person. We can even check gender, but uh, the DNA that he's referencing is not something that is, is set in stone and uh, and has actually changed dramatically in our understanding of it since he had his conversion. And I, I went to, when he said this, I was like, I felt I feel like that was debunked like years ago, but okay. And he read this book that was from well, early 2000s, roughly. Um, and a lot of science, science is an ever changing beast. And mm -hmm. so, he, when I went back and I read it, I'm like, dude, all these evolutionist series, uh, even these evolutionist websites, are so like, stop saying this percentage, it's not accurate. And I found that really interesting that a bunch of evolutionists were even like being like, yeah. shut up <laughs> you're probably you're promulgating false information exactly. so the thing is though is he found all these to be incredibly convincing uh and even he even felt lied to and it's like well here's the thing even that 84.4 percent um the thing is is you know okay so there's some similarities some similar structures that doesn't necessarily mean that and he, he even mentions this rebuttal that doesn't necessarily mean, though, that we came from them. Mm -hmm. Like you said, we need more millions of years in the Earth's time span to make that actually work if it was from chimps. But even then, it just shows the fact that there is a similar creator who's using similar materials. Yeah. Again, every, a bunch of creatures on this planet have spines. A bunch of creatures have eyeballs. And they all function similarly. All, all these creatures have nervous systems. Does that mean they all came from each other? Or does that mean they all came from a central source? Yeah. Well, that's one of the other cool things that we've learned really recently is, is epigenetics. And, you know, we remember Darwin's finches. Mm -hmm. And he finds these finches on this island. He goes, oh, wow, they've, they've, they've had microevolution. They've evolved over time. And their beak structures have changed. They've adapted through um, genetic changes in generations where eventually they end up with a different beak structure. Well, now we've found that, that even finches specifically in their beak structure can change in one generation just by introducing a different type of food into their food supply. The next generation is, is having this feedback loop and real quick, epigenetics is essentially a feedback loop system for genes where it takes an input, it makes a decision, and it adapts the genetic expression to match the environment it's in, which a Christian would, would say, hey, look, there's a great example of, of God really saying, fill the earth. He made us so genetically diverse that we have all the genes that we need, depending on the environment, the altitude, whatever food sources we're in, we can we can thrive. We're going to change genes on and off depending on what we're introduced. And one of those things is finch beaks, which is just, and it doesn't take millions of years. It takes one generation. We've already tested this and proven this. But again, this is something that Rhett and Link didn't have at their disposal at the time because it's pretty new science. Wasn't there something with epigenetics too, with like fish with eyeballs? Just please mention that because I found it incredibly it interesting. It's fascinating because that's one of the things that we always struggle with with evolution is like, oh my goodness, how did this complex eye evolve? How did something accidentally learn how to see and be able to take in light and actually respond to it? And what we found is with some fish and some um, centipedes where you take a fish with eyes and you put it in a place with no light and you breed it and the next generation well behold it doesn't have eyes 
It's also very translucent skin. It's essentially adapted in one generation um, to this new environment. But it's not that it didn't have the genes for eyes because the parents had eyes. And then you take that same fish that no longer has eyes, this next generation, you put it out in the ocean where there's light and breed that again. And what do you know? The offspring has eyes again. One generation flip back and forth, which is genes turning on and off, not things uh, randomly uh, evolving over time. It's really, really, really fast. Then he says that Christians are more focused on their ideology than conclusive evidence. <laughs> I think everyone, you telling me atheists don't do that? Atheists refuse to admit what, like, like even when you ask them, like, okay, well, then how did everything happen? Well, we don't know. It's like, okay, so you're more, but you're still an atheist. Yeah. Even though it might be more logical to believe that, okay, that all God started this. Oh, no, 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 no. It's like, okay, you're, you're, you're obviously avoiding the logical leap. Everyone does this. It's called the worldview. Yeah. Um, it, everyone has a bias. Whether people want to admit it or not, you have a bias. Uh, biases can be changed, but everyone's going to have one. He says that Christians are more focused on their ideology than conclusive evidence. Um, not only does everyone do, do this, but the real question is, is your worldview cohesive? Is it understandable? Is it consistent? And I'll tell you this right now, where Rhett and Link are, it's, it's nonsensical. It, it just is on a logical level. Uh, if you're following the rules of lo laws of logic, like the law of non-contradiction and all this stuff, they're complete, they've completely re, like bounced from that. And also, um, so he says that their Christians are more focused on their ideology as well. Uh, he pretty much admits this entire time that he'll never, ever be convinced that evolution is not true. Yeah. Which it sounds like to me he's committed to an ideology because yeah. uh, evolution has been well-known as a very well-known theory. Uh, it's a very popular theory. But even scientists will admit the fact that they don't really know. Also, he mentions the fossil record. I didn't really look into this. He said that there is, oh, there's definitely in between yeah, transitional, species. transitional species. Some of those things we think might be transitional species, but the problem always with transitional species is, okay, we have one species that we have now, and we have another species we have now, and we somehow find something that seems kind of in between. I don't know, a, a bird that has scales. Um, and... The problem with that is now you have now made two more gaps between that require more transitional species and we just do not have that in the fossil record that shows any uh, evolution of of types of animals we find animals that are similar in some ways and not others but we have all we can show is that something died that looked like that but we have no evidence to, that that came from one thing to another and or transition to another thing yeah yeah so you might say that in order to see as a transitional species you might have to have an ideology mm -hmm. to do that. Yeah. Or instead of looking at it as possibly a separate species all, all of itself. Yeah, you have to make some assumptions. Weird. Okay. <laughs> well, I think we had a couple quotes from Brett that I think kind of, if you listen together, kind of shows that he really isn't open-minded. So one of the things he says is, I'm going to follow the truth wherever it leads. But he also says, I'm not closing myself off to a God experience. So he's like, okay, if God shows himself to me, I'm not going to turn away from it. But then he says, and he says, I'm willing to change my mind. Okay. But then he says, I'm not ever going to believe the earth is 10,000 years old. So he's closed his mind off to that idea. And then he also says, I don't think I can have a worldview that doesn't embrace the reality of evolution. So that's a little bit less definitive, but still he's, he's now staking a claim. He's showing off his, his word worldview here for those two things that if it's evolution or if it's the age of the earth, he is 
essentially made up his mind on it. Exactly. So hence what I was saying. But then he goes, in my heart, I had to follow the truth. And I will agree. I have to follow the truth. We all do. Truth is the central point, I would say, of the Christian life. Yeah. I mean, even Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So yes, truth is definitely the central part. But uh, here's the thing. If you've rejected any sense of God, well, he says he hasn't, but he no longer follows a God, what is truth? Mm-hmm. How do you know what truth is? Oh, something. I feel like it's the doubting Thomas. Until I put my thrust my hand into the hole. Yeah, it's just this whole like, okay, yeah, but what is truth then? Is it something that you see? Is it something that you hold on to? Is this what is truth then? Uh, I, I, that's a whole other philosophical conversation for another time. But uh, then he goes into his secondary issue, which is history. He talks about Old Testament history uh, briefly. He, he history has, and he goes, oh, the and the history has you know, completely disagreed essentially with the Old Testament accounts. And that is blatantly untrue, by the way. It is blatantly untrue. There are the, the, what was it? The Assyrians, I believe, were considered to be like a biblical fabrication of a society. I think until, I could be wrong on this date. I would, year I want to say it's 1984, but I, I thought it was the 60s, but yeah. It's, yeah, no, it was the 60s. There's something, there's another biblical thing that was found. It's been found pretty reliable, by the way. Um, and uh, you know, even if you think that there's a contradiction, doesn't mean the rest of it's false. Uh, but I don't believe that uh, I, because I haven't seen anything that so blatantly contradicts it. That doesn't actually have another. And it's funny because historians argue these facts all the time. Well, we think this, we think that. Okay, whatever. But the thing is, one of the things he mentions is uh, he says there's no evidence of Israeli captivity in Egypt. And uh, this is also false. In fact, I found a top 10 list of 10 things that prove that Israel was definitely in Egypt. And there are all these little clues. Uh, but I think he's, but then he mentioned like the, the Egyptians never recorded them. They kept great history records. Also false. Yeah. <laughs> on some things they did. <laughs> yeah, on the things that made them look good, they did. But uh, there were, what was I want to see his king, one of, one of the uh, pharaohs had another pharaoh like scratched off and erased from history. Uh, they tended to not, uh, you could say, to, what was it? Um, history is written by the victors. Yeah. They, anything that made them look bad, they did not record. They, they, didn't. they thought their kings were gods. They thought their pharaohs were gods. So... The society that's probably willing to bend the truth a little bit to make it look like they've been right the whole time. Yeah, and so that means probably if, uh, you know, maybe 10 plagues just wreak havoc on you, you're probably not going to share that very yeah. much. Also, another counterpoint with that is, okay, yeah, they didn't record their slaves. Their slaves. Oh, yeah, there's no record recording of their slaves. Yeah, you know why? Probably because they're slaves. Yeah. They didn't care about them. So, um, but there are things, uh, if you actually look up J-Bell L. Laws, uh, which is probably, I am 120% convinced, that is the absolute true Mount Sinai. Uh, if you have a way to debunk that, let me know. But there's a lot of information out there on that. They have the split rock of Horeb over there, which is actually the, the direct result. It is the destination of the Exodus route. And people found it by going from Egypt and following exactly the biblical route to find J-Bell L. Laws, not the traditional Mount Sinai. Uh, so you, you know a little bit about that, but there's a scorched top and everything. It's pretty crazy. But bottom line is it's, just, it's not true. Yeah. And I don't know where he got that information from. I think it's fascinating because it's a great example of the more you unravel, the more you scratch at that truth, the more you find that the Bible's proven right. And I think if you're close-minded to that, 
uh, you're only going to struggle to accept more truth. And it sounds like to me, just because somebody brought up a counterpoint or didn't believe so, it's because some historians don't believe that there's any, they reject the evidence. Um, that doesn't mean that it's not true, but it's just, it's weird because it seems like as soon as somebody started bringing up counter counter like counter arguments, he just kind of it seems like he folded because he, he kept saying though he's like I didn't want to believe this. I'm like I know what it's like when I don't want to believe something. Uh, I tend not to. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna be honest. Like I'm just gonna be like nope, I don't want to. Um, except for things that were straight up I could not like. I used to be a hardcore fundamentalist Baptist. <laughs> not anymore. And that was mainly because I was confronted with the text. But anyway, um, also, the, the, he says there's no historical record of them ever being there. Except for the thousands of manuscripts that say otherwise. Yeah. Like, okay, you're taking Egypt's word for it, the slavers, and not Israel, the people who were the slaves. Quick question here. Historians ask this question all the time uh, of whether something is factual or not. Just simply, who who has the reason to lie? Yeah. Well, those that want to change the past. <laughs> yeah. Maybe the people who got their butt kicked by Yahweh? <laughs> uh, like, uh, then you have... Uh, you know the Israelis. They had no. They had, there's no skin in that game for them to say that they were slaves in Egypt. Yeah. They didn't win anything for it. They just simply said it. But sorry, this arm keeps getting in the way. I'm like over here hiding behind it. Um, <laughs> so, but I think there's just a lot of things that he he accepts as truth, even though there are counter arguments to it. He just he just doesn't think that they're valid, and it's not just because they're not valid. It's just that's his opinion. Mm-hmm. That's his opinion formed from many different things and we have our opinions formed from many different things too um but it's just he uses that as an argument of why he pulled away and i don't i don't know that's a valid argument i agree with you plus he goes um you know he he talked about like oh yeah he thought also thought the canaanites he's like oh it's probably more more apt that israel came from the canaanites which by the way for those of you guys who don't know edom and all those places over there are pretty well connected and related so really there are a lot of theories uh, secular theories but it's all theories and conjecture and then he talks about moving to L.A. And, of course, he goes, <laughs> he, he tries to get ahead of the argument again, right? He goes, well, you can't move to a place like California without realizing there's a lot of gray. So much for truth. <laughs> I, I, like, I just, that blows, like, okay, if truth is truth, then there's not a lot of gray in certain areas. Like, there are just black and white areas, right? Like, yeah. he, he, he makes a black and white claim about evolution. So I find that kind of funny. Um, yeah, you did move, but he he mentioned later on with Philip DeFranco that he, that his entire doubting process had already taken form basically uh, in Cal- in the Carolinas. And now he's moved, but L.A. is where it finalized. I don't know how true that is. I'm not sure if he's just trying to get ahead of himself in the next video, going, "Oh crud, I probably just exposed it." I don't know. I yeah. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that he's being honest. Um, well, I think too is you know uh, both of them were seeing a lot of success, right? They're seeing a lot of financial success. Um, and that tends to uh, make you less reliable on other things, like God. Um, so I guess that that could be the other aspect of this too. That they were they're becoming so self sufficient, and they had money that they could do whatever they wanted, um, and that makes you less reliant on something else. Yeah. And when he says, you know, that's you know, when he says, oh, of course, people are going to say that's why you lost faith because you moved to California. It's an age-old story. 
at first I was like, well, that's a really good point. You know, he's trying to get ahead of that. Like he's trying to say, no, that's not the point. My thing was evidence and I study these things. But the problem is, is later on in other interviews, he really did make very clear that it was a huge part of it. Like he talks about all like the homosexual culture and stuff. We'll talk about that. So um, then he goes, of course, isn't this arrogant? I'm trying to fit God in my, my own image and not God, me in God's own image. And of course I'm like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's Pretty arrogant. Yes, you're, you're absolutely correct. You are right. I agree with you. Um, I just disagree with the fact that you actually were arrogant enough to go to, to shape God in your own image because you just disagreed with all these things. Then he goes, maybe faith needs to come first and then everything else. Keep going. You're on a roll. <laughs> yeah, good job, right? You keep yeah, you're, you're doing good. <laughs> And like that's why you know, hearing faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Everything has to stem from faith. And I don't care who you are, by the way. Everyone has faith. He believes evolution is true. Belief is a faith, right? So no matter what, there's a faith. I just get really annoyed with the fact that people go, "Oh, well, Christians in your faith worldview, we have fact worldview." I'm like, really? Okay, so you don't believe something you can't prove? Everyone has faith. It's just what's your faith in? So. Um, and then, of course, he talks about following truth first again, but not a single thing he mentions at this entire time debunks Christianity. No. Not a single thing. So then he asks the question, the question that he's terrified of asking, Brian. He's so scared to ask. Are you ready? I'm ready. What if I'm wrong? <laughs> <laughs> I had to admit to my wife yesterday I was wrong. I, I, this happens to me frequently, actually. You know, I have... I, I'm wrong so much, I count how often I'm right with my wife, and it does, I can count it on one hand. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was there for one of the times, like, I was right! <laughs> exciting. <laughs> it was so exciting. Life-changing moments. So, the question of what if I'm wrong, we should ask this about ourselves frequently enough. You know, how else are you going to test what you believe if you don't ask the question, well, I could be wrong, so how about I study this? And if I'm right, then it'll hold up. How do you think I changed my position from being a standard fundamentalist King James-only Baptist to what I am now, which is definitely not any that. So I think I it shows why we're you and I are so passionate about apologetics, especially for teenagers and young adults, because it seems like... Rhett and Link were both avoiding asking themselves these hard questions all through their childhood, their young adulthood, um, and then you know they're now they're they're settled adults. They have lives, they have careers, and now they start asking themselves these questions. And what do they do? Well, they really don't have a foundation to answer these correctly. So when they don't have the ability to answer it correctly, they don't have people around them that they can ask these questions and good good get good answers from. Uh, that really starts pulling at that string. That starts making them, their ideas unravel. And mm -hmm. it, it, if we confront these hard questions early on and we understand the answers and we can articulate the answers to other people, um, one, we can help others from unraveling by being in their lives in adulthood, but two, helps us or prevents us from, from going into despair just because we can't answer some not actually so hard questions. Yeah, exactly. Um, in fact, a lot of the questions he brings up, I was like, I could answer that right now. And actually, it was pretty logically consistent. Um, in fact, some of the questions, he, he goes, it gets in this one part. Where he goes, so I started asking myself some exper some experimental questions, just basically to see what does it feel to believe this. Mm -hmm. Which, by the way, is kind of a dangerous test. Again, for a guy who keeps going, it's about truth, it's about truth. All of a sudden, you go, well, hold up, what does it feel <laughs> to believe this? Yeah. It's like sounds like to me, you kind of you're kind of departing from truth there. You're kind of going, ooh, I just want to see how it feels. Mm -hmm. um, Anyway, but he asks himself some questions. You have your you have your things pulled up there yes. because I think it's important. Um, he goes, "I'll get the first. I'll 
read the first question. He goes, if I don't have to believe that God ordered his chosen people to slaughter men, women, and children, why would I? Hold up, Rhett. I thought this was about truth. So why are you saying if I don't have to? Well, no one says you have to do anything, but it's whether or not it's true is the question. If it's true, you should. No one says you have to. I think it also gets gets to his understanding of, of what salvation is and, and not to put words in his mouth, but it seems like he doesn't believe that um, salvation is truly through faith, accepting grace, but he really kind of dances around the idea of, of these actions, of, you know, knowing the right things. It's really this knowledge thing. If you don't know the right things, then you can't be saved. Or if you, if you don't do the right things, you can't be saved. And uh, I think he really mischaracterizes Christianity entirely. Well, and what, that's what's crazy about this particular question. This is a question I get from atheists. Like full-on atheists who don't understand the Bible at all. Mm-hmm. Like this, these are like seriously, like these are questions I get all the time. Well, well, God's this horrible person. Uh, God's a moral monster if he because of these things. Well, you know what some of these men, women, and children were doing? Well, let's take the Canaanites for example, since he mentioned them. They were sacrificing babies, like literally burning them alive, and they lived pretty close to Israel. And God goes. These people, I've shown them grace, I've shown them peace, I've shown them everything I can, I've given them as much grace, and it's my sovereign decree that this civilization is too dangerous anymore, and what they're doing is so barbaric, wipe out them entirely. Yeah, and in Judges 2, he says, if you do not wipe them out entirely, you do not completely purge them from the promised land, they will infect your culture, you will follow their ways, and it will cause you down a path of destruction, and God calls a shot, they do exactly that, and what do you know? Destruction ensues. And what's interesting about that, too, is so we have atheists all the time who go, well, if God's so good, why doesn't he intervene? Why doesn't he do something about it? <laughs> now we have an example of God doing something about it, and you're saying that he's immoral. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so which is it? You know, you, you make up your mind. Also, the thing with that whole, to make this more applicable for maybe you, to use the age-old internet cliche let's talk about hitler so hitler let's say god came to the president of the united states during world war ii and said look at those nazis destroy them all take wipe them from the face of the earth every single nazi kill them yeah okay seems moral that way yeah we're like oh yeah nazis are horrible they were doing terrible things yeah you're absolutely right they were and even the people who were forced into the army and didn't want to there is, they still joined willingly. They just were too cowardly to say no. Yeah. Um, so even then, God, if God did that, so we go, oh, that's a, that's a moral thing. Yeah, fighting World War II was a moral thing to do. Um, this is a similar situation. Uh, in fact, even the Assyrians in Scripture, uh, by historians, they call them the Nazis of the ancient world, where they would hang skins of their victims over their city walls, and they would line their streets, I kid you not, with people on pikes, Competing with Vlad the Impaler, I think, a little bit there. Yeah. Um, and it's like, yeah, God's going, mm, yeah, you know what? Wipe these people out. Yeah. And you know what? Honestly, there is a good, there's a time for a moral fight. There is a moral war. Mm-hmm. Uh, most war is not moral, but there is a time and place to defend the innocent. And this is a Christian worldview. But it's really funny because if you don't have a God and you just believe you are evolved fish and that you're just a cosmic accident, 
then you really don't have a complaint or anything because there's nothing wrong with fish killing other fish or you know evolved monkeys slaughtering other monkeys. So yeah. your your point about God about God being immoral is completely moot because you have no standard by which to call something moral because you're just a cosmic accident to begin with. Exactly. Okay, so the next question he asks is a hard question that he wouldn't let himself ask himself until now. Um, is if, if I don't have to believe every religious experiences of any person who is not a Christian is ultimately illegitimate, why would I? Which is, which is a, it's almost like a universalism argument. It's like he doesn't consider, uh, right now, he doesn't consider uh, religious experiences by Christians as legitimate. Mm-hmm. But apparently that was enough of a hard question to make him take the counterpoint. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And also, this is this is straight up, you said universalism. I'm going to call it pluralism, which I love the way Ravi puts this, which is it wraps everyone in a hug, but ends up choking itself with its own hands. <laughs> That's a visual. Yeah. Like, ah. Um, and it's true because each religion, every spiritual experience, every single one of them claims a certain amount of exclusivity. Um Islam exclaim, you know, says it's got the truth. Judaism says it's got the truth. Christianity says it's got the truth. And those are just the Middle Eastern religions and you know what came from it. But then you have Hinduism that believes it's all, uh, Buddhism. And Buddhism is really essentially an atheistic religion. There is no real God or all this part with this connected spirit of it. That's all there is really to it. But pluralism doesn't make sense. What do you mean other people's spiritual experiences are illegitimate? I'm not saying everyone's spiritual experience is illegitimate because I think there's a, spirit, a very real spiritual realm. Again, this makes sense to my worldview. There's a real spiritual realm, and in a lot of religions is a lot of truth. Mm -hmm. You know, the whole idea of Buddhism is we should live in peace with one another, and there's a lot of truth inside Buddhism that is perverted into a lie, though, in a lot of other areas. Um, You know, like you have to keep suffering, essentially, and become more and more selfless, and I don't know. It's very bizarre, but... Can just show there's that there's that pull for so many different people to actually pursue this idea of the spiritual realm. So, but many come to different conclusions on it. Yeah, and the thing is, is if you're if you're concerned about spiritual exclude, if you're concerned about other people's spiritual experiences, and you want to say they're illegitimate, okay. But one, someone has to. Every belief system is mutually exclusive. You know, I was actually having a conversation with an atheist yesterday and I was like, atheism believes this. And she's like, don't sit there and tell me what I believe. I was like, you said you're an atheist, right? Yeah, just no God, no Bible. Like, exactly. So there's no God, so you're a cosmic accident. Mm -hmm. Well, don't say what I believe. (laughs) No, no, this is your worldview. This is what you're claiming that you believe. So uh, a lot of people seem like the pluralism wants to take place. Like, I don't want to believe in a God, but I also want to believe that uh, disagreeing with homosexuality is wrong. Well, who, how how can you claim it's wrong if we're all just we all have different opinions as creatures that are just evolved? Like it's it's silly. Well, it comes back to his original thing about being so concerned about judging others for what they believe, and it's like, yeah, this is this is where that's coming from. He's so worried about judging what other people believe that he's willing to accept what everyone believes to an extent. Yeah, to an extent, unless you're Christian. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, and then his other question is, uh, if I don't have to believe that every other person on earth is going to hell without without the gospel, which is the more majority of mankind, why would I? So there's a lot that you we could unpack there, and this has been a theological question for over 2,000 years. Um, but this gets really, I guess, into the argument of inclusivism versus exclusivism. Exclusivism believes if you've never heard the gospel, you're going to hell. 
you know, and, you know, and the whole idea, the basic theology here is that God being the creator and sovereign of the universe, he separated the end from the beginning and he knows who's going to accept him, who's not. So he puts the gospel in wherever people are going to accept him that he's already chosen or known is going to accept him, depending if you're Arminian or if you're Calvinistic or whatever. Um, then inclusivism is saying that is pulling from Romans chapter two primarily, which is if people don't know, and you know, he who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. But therefore, if they don't know, then they can't be held accountable, mm-hmm. and uh, they will eventually just be judged by their own conscience. Either way, uh, God kind of has that sorted out on His end, and I don't think that's on our end to worry about as much as uh, we're just supposed to give the gospel. Uh, and I, th- I think really a true look at this is God is sovereign, right? Who are we to, you know, question his ways? And I think if you're really taking the Christianity worldview at face value, it is, is actually not that hard, right? God did all the work. All you have to do is accept the grace through faith. That's all you have to do. And in Ephesians is so clear on this that faith is not a work. It's not something that you're doing. It's not something that you get rewarded for. It's not something that you boast. It truly is just accepting this gift freely. And so it is truly a free gift. And how awesome is this that that the 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 fundamental power of the universe, the Almighty God who is sovereign over everything, who does set the beginning from the end. Um, gives us a way that even though that we fall short of the goodness and path that we're supposed to be on and we still do wrong things, that God still gives us another way out, still yeah. gives us this easy get-out-of-jail-free And also, like I, I, you kind of touched on it, you're also you're, you're blaming the wrong person in this. You're going, well, how could a loving God send people to hell? You're blaming the wrong person there, bucko. You sent yourself to hell. Like, God doesn't go, mm, I'm sending you to hell. It's literally God's going, okay, I have to judge that which is sin, and I have to judge that which is not sin. Yeah. And that, and if you are righteous, which none of you are, you will be lifted up uh, through, by, by, through, by salvation, by faith, through, by grace, through faith, or I have to punish you. Mm-hmm. Like a good judge does. If you let a rapist off scot-free, uh, without any punishment or judgment whatsoever, you would say he's unjust. Well, God's doing the same thing. If you so much as lie, you are destroying God to create the tongue to worship, to bless, to lift up, and you're using it to lie and defame. Like, and it's profane, it really is. And so now suddenly you're, but you're going, oh, but because I like, who are you, oh man, to sit there and go, God, you're unrighteous and you're judging. Mm-hmm. No, you're the one who messed up. Those are your consequences, but he gave you a way out. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, exactly. So um, he does also kind of mention briefly that they were Calvinistic. And we're going to do our own videos on Calvinism. I I know I have a lot of Calvinists who follow this, by the way. So I love you all, but I am not a Calvinist. In fact, I would almost say this particular thing shows the danger of Calvinism, which is if you simply believe that God chose vessels of wrath, the vessels of mercy, and that's all there is to it. And uh, he's going to, he raised these people up just to send them to hell and raise these people up just to show them grace. Uh, yeah, I can see why they in particular felt like God was a moral monster because it, it does seem unjust. But again, I could say, oh, who are you? Oh, man, I know the arguments. Okay. But the point is here is, you know, 
if you truly believe that and God see, says he loves all and he does all these things and he's all this just, I could see where somebody could get that way. Yeah. So I think there's a danger to it a little bit. Well, I, I think it kind of shows just one of these, it took it however correctly or not, it's, it wasn't another thread that got pulled where he even, he brings up this idea that of essentially told depravity and one of the things that really pulled at that string was seeing people that were good and, but they were not saved. And he was like, wait, hold on a second. Or they were homosexual and living a sin. Exactly. He's like, well, you know, total depravity means that they are completely unable to do anything good on their own. And they need to be essentially uh, brought to life by, by Christ first so that they can accept and understand and do good things. And when he found people that were doing good things, even though they weren't saved, he was like, hold on a second. That might not be right. And it started unraveling. He might have had, because a Calvinistic view of... Um, of uh, total depravity is no one does good, no one is right. Like there's not a single good thing people do, and uh, I would disagree with that. Mm -hmm. I think there is good things um, that people can do because we're creating the image of God and God's laws written on our heart. But uh, we are fallen and we have a sinful nature and we are not righteous. Uh, so I think that's what he was seeing. It's like yeah, you're seeing somebody be a good person to a degree, a good person from a human standpoint, but you still got a lot of sin, and one sin is all it took to. to condemn the world mm -hmm. so um he also mentioned something about adam and eve and i think you wanted to kind of touch on that he was like or, did, or do you think we already covered that with evolution well i i think i just want to say one thing that he was really right on he is right that um adam and eve had to exist in order for there to be a fall and in order for jesus to have a reason to come and save the world you had to have had an Adam and Eve. You had to have the, the first sin. You had to have the fall of humanity. So he is right. If he if he thinks that Adam and Eve didn't exist, then then Jesus Christ coming to the world doesn't make sense. Right. And this goes into the whole, like, how did that work? Were they just their own individual creations? Did they evolve? C.S. Lewis was a theistic evolutionist. I don't think that that question even at all debunks any of Christianity or that point at all or has been disproven. So anyway, essentially what we, we got here, so he goes on then like, what do I teach my kids? What about meaning? What about community? And I don't know how to go about these things. I'm like, yeah, I have no idea either. Because you, he even describes it as he looked at Christianity as a ship going in a direction and he just took him and his family and jumped off the ship, not even into another ship, just into the, the, the sea. Just, and yeah. it's crazy that someone would actually admit that. Like, oh yeah, it just totally took my family into complete uncertainty, no truth, no ship, no destination, just... And not even his family. He essentially took Link's family too. Yeah, because he was the one who was talking to Link about it. And he, so, um, you know, he saw, so this whole thing is he's trying to make this as an intellectual thing, as a truth-seeking thing. But really, in truth-seeking, he has ejected all truth. He has not even hopped on a ship at all. There is no truth. He has no destination. If there's no destination, you have no truth because truth is the destination. Truth is the conclusion. So you've completely just ejected the handle. So uh, as I mentioned, he, you know, he sees this whole thing and he also kind of gets into a little bit of identity politics of I was a straight white male. The church is, it was easy for me. It's like, yeah, because being a straight white man, like, first off, I disagree wholeheartedly with the whole identity politics. Like, oh, it's harder for a black man in church than a white man in church. Like, get out of here. No. Um, but the whole thing also, yeah, if you're straight, yes. If you're sexually straight, the church is going to be like, okay, you're good because homosexuality is sinful. And if you're a dude, you're going to be expected to lead because that is your biblical place. I don't, it's not like, yeah. I don't. We all have sin that we're struggling with and, the, and, the, and all the sins that we all struggle with are all things the church said, do not do. 
avoid those things. Uh, you know, redeem, uh, use Christ to redeem yourself and redeem yourself away from these sins. And we all struggle with them because it's our nature is sin. So we are always in conflict with those sins. And when he goes here, he also said, "We'll teach. We need to be teaching people to do that which is right by living it out." And I go, "Yeah, I agree." <laughs> But you have no justification for what is right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, your, your, your rightness, your truth is your feelings and your own subjective opinion at this point. Yeah. So he's um, given up the moral law and, and no longer has a moral law giver. So it does not make sense. It I mean, an inconsistent world. Yeah, and he consistently says, and constantly says, uh, he re- says phrases like deception. Uh, what is good? He talks about truth, and all these things are objective claims. Mm-hmm. If something is deceived, that means that there is something that was truthful that you you ignored, or uh, if something is good, then therefore you must know what is bad. And uh, how do you know those things? He calls himself a hopeful agnostic, so he's saying, "I don't know. I'm hopeful that I might know." Yet he makes very uh, specific and objective claims on a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So I, I think uh, I don't think so much that he never had a relationship with Jesus. I honestly think he just went apostate. I think he he had some doubts and he just completely you know he pulled the ejector handle because he was just like I don't know how to answer these things and he just bailed. And you know he was very emotionally swayed because he had friends in L.A. who were homosexual and stuff. He'd seen these good people like that. And he, they they talk about that a lot, especially in that uh, episode of Philip DeFranco. They really talk about it. Link really talks about it and. By the way, I said I wanted to talk about Rhett for the most part of this video, and that was very true. Uh, we, I want to touch a little bit on Link right now, um, and that's and mainly Link more told a story, and his story starts off with essentially going, "Rhett got me to believe this. <laughs> Rhett was the seed of doubt." And uh, this go one, careful of your friends. Two, keep your friends in check. Three, don't influence your friends toward bad decisions. Um, but uh, he and he really tells some great stories in here, like that one. Like go, you have to go there yourself. But there's a great story of when Link decided to go party and how I, I'd get drunk as a teenager. And Rhett like uh, did a pretty dramatic thing, and it was actually like very much like that was a bro moment, man. Well done. Uh, it was really, it was, it was like, oh wow, that actually, I actually felt something there. You even made my cold dead heart feel something. Um, but here's the thing, emote. Link's was definitely more emotional. I think this is how they work. I think Rhett tends to be the more the intellectual and Link tends to be more the feeler. Um, and I could be completely wrong on that, but this is from what I've always observed of the two. Uh, but here's the thing. Emotions without a solid worldview are a very dangerous thing. The worldview creates a framework for your emotions. So um, you have to be careful there. So a worldview, with, uh, but here's the thing. A worldview without coherence is a disaster. And when you're going, I'm an agnostic, I don't know, I don't, eh, then, well, then you've completely ejected truth. There is no moral groundings. There is no these things. So you have no coherence. Well, therefore, your emotions now have no framework. Yeah. Well, I, and I think, too, they mentioned this on a couple people on social media, like, I cannot bring myself to watch this whole video. I just, you know, I, I, I'm just going to ignore this and, you know, pretend it didn't happen. It's like, no. And Christians, are, Christians, Christians, clarify, saying, Christians were saying that they refused to watch his his talk, which is exactly ridiculous. Don't do that. Don't do what Rhett and Link did and keep yourself in an echo chamber. Watch those videos. It's, it's three hours of videos. I fully understand that. But if you've watched The Lord of the Rings or you've watched other long movies, you obviously have the attention span to do it. It's hard, um, but it'll teach you a lot. And I, and I think it's even more important to have your kids watch it. I think let them see what happened, let them see how just a little seed of doubt by refusing to force yourself to ask hard questions and listen to hard questions and listen to alternative viewpoints um, will 
make that much more devastating later in life. Yeah, and also ask kids the questions like, oh, how would you answer that?" Yeah, I think it's think a, good a test. little bit. Just yeah, think a little bit. Teach teach your kids some critical thinking, please, for all good things. That's what's destroying our society. <laughs> so and he goes, consider other viewpoints. He mentions that, and I'm like, yes, but Rhett has already admitted he can't believe certain things. So again, he's he's closed himself off. And he also says, if you don't accept being gay is okay, history will leave you behind. I'm like, so there's another thing, like, you're, you, yet you refuse to follow. And he, he had this one thing that he said, and I was just like, okay, Brett, I love you, but I'm already flipped the table because this is just so wrong. <laughs> it's wrong. Uh, he goes, we had to convince the church slavery wasn't okay. But we had to convince the church that interracial marriage was okay. And now we have to te uh, teach the church that being gay is okay. Couple things. One, you did not have to convince the church that slavery was okay. Uh, no, Abraham Lincoln was actually pretty well known as a Christian, at least on and off throughout his life. He had some doubts and stuff. But there's a lot of Christians who were very much opposed to slavery, hence the Civil War. Mm -hmm. We were very much a Christian nation back then, by the way, uh, predominantly. So no, that's not true. And, a lot, and that was a constant thing that even that we have writings on from different uh, priests and whatnot in the Catholic Church that were even like, this is wrong. So that is not true. Uh, you're, you're straw manning there. And then the other thing he goes, we had to convince the church that interracial marriage was okay. I understand that this was a thing for, like more in colonial America, but that is not true in the, in the sense of historical church or the Bible. For example, Moses married an Ethiopian. And last I checked, Ethiopians were pretty dark. Like, dark. Just the interracial marriage thing just shows you legalism creeping in. And if you really do make your, your foundation the word, the Bible, what God actually says is wrong and what God actually says is, is right and good, then you won't run into these problems. Mm -hmm. And then he goes... Uh, and then it will, and then, well, then we're going to teach the church that being gay is okay. This also, no, the church is going to, some of the churches might compromise this, but Romans chapter one makes very clear homosexuality has, is not going to be okay. And actually uses some very strong language there. Um, and for those of you who go, oh, well, the Greek word there means like sleeping with men or sleeping with lots of people. That's what it's referring to. No, even in the Hebrew, arsenokoites, the, the, the phrase there is completely clear that this is referring to homosexuality. Uh, and we can find that in the Septuagint. Um, James White has a great debate on this. So anyway, go and check that that out. So anyway, um, he goes, he even says, well, parts of the Bible seem to say that being gay is wrong. No, it, it's pretty, pretty straightforward on that. Like, and you don't have to like it. I'm not saying you have to like it. But again, if you have no truth game, you just jumped into the sea without a ship. You have no standard by which to say that Christianity is wrong on that. So anyway, all that aside, essentially, you know, they, they talk about some of the confusion that they've had of what to live for now. Uh, I want to say Link said, I don't have an ultimate purpose and I need something greater than myself. I think it was Link that said that. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say yes, because rejecting God, you've ultimately rejected any and all purpose for your life, you yeah. know? Um, and when then they said, well, we just want to help people be the and just look at it the, and when be the best version of yourself you can be. And I would agree with that, except for the fact where what is best now? Like, that's my question for you. What is best? It's uh, what standard is best? You know, uh, what the best version of myself I might subjectively think is dying. So suicide's OK. This is the best version of myself. I'm done. Or what is what if the someone's idea like you have the the sociopath who believes the best version of himself is 
attacking someone or keeping subordinates under him and mistreating them because that's, yeah. that's his best version. Or the rapist thinks that his best version of himself is raping. Like it's, it gets very, uh, it becomes very untied down and floaty. Uh, mm-hmm. And what you mean is what you mean by subjectively the best person of yourself. They're intellectually saying that they they believe in subjectivism, but they also aren't really adhering to it because they're they're specifically claiming absolute truth and a lot of things. So they still have that worldview. They just haven't quite shed it, and they don't really know how to live without it and not live contradictory. Well, that, and that's kind of what happens with a lot of atheists and agnostics. I've noticed this. And a lot of them have a hard time. And Rhett mentioned the moral argument that he found it mildly compelling. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a very powerful argument in many ways because uh, not a lot of people, once they real. They don't realize it because they don't even understand the fact that when they say good, when they say best, they don't realize that they're borrowing from a worldview that they actually don't adhere to. Yeah. I find that <laughs> it's always it's always funny to me of how often that happens. But I don't know. Do you have, do you have any thoughts on that as we close? Uh, yeah, I'll just, I just uh, reiterate again. I just really think it's good that people watch the whole video and really get the understanding of it. You know, it's hard, you know, even watching couple times to do this video was hard um, because it's depressing especially as someone who's a Christian and seeing someone reject all that and 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 walk through their unraveling and they're and they're pulling away it's it's hard to watch it's hard to listen to it's hard to hear them make these rationalizations that don't make sense Mm -hmm. and you can see the flaws in their logic and you can't do anything about it yeah yeah, I, that's, I think that's my thing too where I just wanted to be like I wish I had them on speed dial like we need to get coffee right now because there's yeah. so many things uh, you know I had thoughts kind of blazing through my mind at you know a mile a minute but uh, you know essentially you know this it, what it comes down to is apostasy is very real and very often people do walk away from the faith which is why uh, you know Hebrews also tells us not to neglect that salvation that we have like hey you know focus on this or pay attention to the things you've heard and uh, essentially what I just want to, I kind of want to close this video with the thought of just be careful with what you believe, um, test all things, and don't let people define your faith. Yeah. You know, uh, apologists, don't let them do it. You know, they, yeah, they're great people, but don't let them define your faith. Uh, don't let other people be what makes you think or believe a certain thing. And if nothing else, uh, understand the fact that too, that these objections that they had, actually really don't hold up because I'm, I'm assuming he took brought his best arguments. Like, these are my top ones that broke me from Christianity. Yeah. And I wasn't impressed. <laughs> but, I mean, honestly, this comes from a position of love um, for people who follow them, for people who like their work. And uh, essentially, you know, when they were entertainers, they've always been entertainers. Now they're entering worldview. Now you're forcing people who talk about worldviews to address your worldview. Uh, you know, beforehand, it didn't really matter. I, I didn't find out they're evangelical Christians until much later in their career when I liked them. I just kind of assumed most everyone in the showbiz is not. Yeah. Um, but when I found out they were, now to see them, I'm like, man, dude, you were one of us. So you were like one of our tribe out there, and now you're over there just, you know, that's yeah. another example. Well, maybe that's a little bit of the problem, right, where, you know, as Christians, you're supposed to be, it should be so obvious that you have the truth and you have you have salvation and you've been reborn that when people look at you, they know something's different. They know there's something wrong with you. They, that's why you're supposed to be able to make, give a defense for your faith no matter what is because um, people are going to look at you and go, what, 
what's wrong with that guy? There's something, he's not like normal people. And the fact that you were, weren't able to detect that with them in other videos might also be a concerning thing. Yeah, maybe, yeah. And, you know, that's very true. They're, they're very, and, of course, all this is just, you know, trying to figure it out from a distance. And I understand that. Like, we're not going to know everything. And obviously, like we mentioned before, this is just going by what we've heard. But yeah. um, definitely give it a watch. I would also recommend watching the Philip DeFranco interview because we actually see uh, Rat opens up more in that than he did before. And he actually shows a little bit more hostility toward the faith than uh, he did in his other video, which, uh, like, not a lot, but I de there's yeah. definitely the undertones. And so I think that really exposes some of the problem as well. So, uh, you know, I think they're just as, and then they also talk a lot about moving to LA and a lot about the people in LA more personally and the reason why they couldn't hold on to their faith anymore mm -hmm. because of how these people were. You, we really, you really get a picture in that interview. But I would, so go ahead, go watch it. But bottom line is don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't put yourself in an echo chamber. You know, compare everything we say to other people too. Like yeah. if you know, and it's okay to disagree with us. That's why we call, started the church split was to have these conversations where we can disagree with each other, yet not sit there and take each other out back and crucify each other. Yeah. I mean, I might do that to you know. I don't. Know, it depends how I feel on the day, but I might do that to a Calvinist. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> What was it that Sam said? Uh, he was like, oh, I'm putting down my firewood to not burn the Anabaptists, essentially. I was dying. I was laughing. It's all in jest. All in jest. I'm dead serious. I, I'm not going to actually do that. I actually have a lot of really great Reformed friends. And also, uh, a Reformed man is who what broke me of my uh, King James only standpoint. So. Yeah. Well, you know, I think we can, we can work with anybody unless you can't take a joke. Then sorry. <laughs> if you can't take a joke. We're not the page for you. I just think that's all there is to it. But I really wanted us to address this. I know it's been uh, talked a lot about. People have already talked about it in circles. This is a really long video. But I, I know you watched the, their, the hit Red's video a couple times. Uh, you watched Links at least once. Mm -hmm. I've watched all their videos. And I have probably about six hours of things I've watched, plus articles I've read. Just really trying to munch on how do I feel about this? What do I think about this? What does the Bible say about this? Are there refutations for this? And there are. And you can find, I'm, by the way, I'm just a pastor. He's a deacon. We just love this kind of topic. But there are apologists who have addressed these things at depth, at in-depth levels. There's um, history books you can find that deal with a lot of this as well. So yeah, don't just take our word for it. Go study it. But anyway, um, with all that being said, uh, we really appreciate everyone being here, being a part of uh, the Church Split community, and please, guys, share these things around. It helps us grow. We're, we're starting very, we're very small, so just click that little notification bell. Apparently, that's more important now than subscriptions. So uh, we have about 188 subscribers as of right now, and uh, we might lose more due to the coronavirus. So we <laughs> stay safe out there. Stay safe. That's why we're doing shooting this video for so long because it's keeping us safe in my little basement here. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, stay safe out there. But in all honesty, guys, thank you for being here. Like, comment, subscribe, share all that. And if you have anything you want to add, go ahead and tell us in the comments. So with that, my name is Will. My name is Brian. This has been The Church Split.